This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You might assume we're both good at presenting to a live audience because of this podcast. But at the end of the day, when we record, it really feels like we're just talking to one another. Presenting information in person in a formal setting to a large audience is something that still makes us really nervous. To prepare for a live speaking event we're hosting together, we turn to our masterclass subscription to not only refine our presentation skills, but to build our confidence in a different kind of public speaking capacity. Between Robin Roberts, Hillary Clinton, and Kevin Hart's expertise, our confidence skyrocketed. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master negotiate with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or plan your dream wedding with celebrity event planner Mindy Wise, Masterclass has you covered. There are over 200 classes to pick from, with new classes added every month, like our latest aha moments from Robin Roberts' effective and authentic communication class that we watched before our event presentation. She taught us how to establish a genuine connection with the audience from the start. I'll always be a little nervous before presenting, but Masterclass prepared us in a way that dialed my nerves down and gave me tools to ground myself. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Get 50% off right now at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists and owners of the therapy group. We're on a mission to make therapy and therapeutic topics more relatable and accessible. So stay tuned, because in order to grow yourself, you gotta know yourself. And welcome to Shrink Chicks. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. We are so excited to be here. Dr. Kristen Mark, the, probably the world's most impressive resume we've ever, so ever had. Right? We were going to do an intro, but then we were like, there's so much to say. Well, I, or your, your follow-up with Emily Nagowski, right? Who is other, our favorite sex researcher who we've had on before. Um, so we couldn't possibly fit it all into one introduction. She is a behavioral health scientist, a professor, a therapist, a researcher, sex therapist, sex educator, and all the things. Welcome, Kristen. We're so happy to have you today. Thanks for having me. So you, the number one thing people want to know is, I feel like people love the idea of like what a sex research researcher is, right? It's very interesting. It's a well, great like party. It's a great, oh, I'm sure, party. right? <laughs> but what do you actually do? <laughs> yeah, so, right, great question. <laughs> and it is definitely a hit at cocktail parties. I would say, um, you know, we really want to understand human sexual behavior. And so to do that, we use a variety of different methods to collect data from humans, which humans are imperfect, but our measures try to, you know, make them be able to be a little bit more perfect in our analysis. Um, and we, uh, yeah, we collect data. It might be like um, survey data. It might be interviews. It might be um, physiological data. We have a variety of different ways that we can measure things related to sex and sexual health. And um, I often collect data from couples because to me, it's just so important to have both members of the couple's perspective on their sexual experience together. Um, so often, uh, I'm sure you both have experienced this, like two people in a relationship might have a totally different idea of what their sex life looks like. <laughs> Everything's great. This is horrible. I hate it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Very different. Yeah. So it's really important to collect data from then both members of the couple. And then we can do some really cool analytic techniques. Um, where we can like analyze the differences between the two um, or similarities as well. Um, and just the way that those might fluctuate over time. Well, it's so interesting because everyone I think is obsessed with what's quote unquote normal, right? right. Like the number one thing you hear all the like time. How many times should I be having sex? How often do you hear that question? A week, all the time. I well, think <laughs> in my friend group too, yes. everyone's talking about it. Everyone wants to like compare, make sure that they're on this, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having sex the right amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, that is definitely the most common question. Like, am I normal? And the other most common question I get is like, how do I maintain desire in my long-term relationship? That's like the other yes. main one. 
but maybe we'll get into that in a little bit but um yeah so now we have to do yeah well now we have yeah, to right. you already <laughs> Sorry, just Pandora's that. box there my friend um yeah. but so god so your job is insanely interesting and there is so many different avenues and I feel like a very complex thing so I think another thing people really want is like what is sex therapy yeah so sex therapy you know some people make an assumption that like if you go to sex therapy, you're going to have to like have sex in a therapist's office or like, you know, they make these assumptions about there being some sort of like nakedness happening. And like, <laughs> I like to talk about that in terms of like, you do not have to literally get naked, but we will definitely strip down like vulnerabilities that might make you feel really exposed in the context of sex therapy, because nobody's, you know, we're not in our society trained to talk about sex. Like we just, it's not normal. It's not considered, or it's not considered normal. It should be. Um, and we just have so many, so much shame wrapped up in sex, so many barriers to talking about sex. And so it's really important that couples find a space, a safer space to talk about that and to have those conversations, especially if, um, you know, having a neutral party sort of talk about it with you can be really, really powerful for getting to the bottom of some of these issues. And that was going to be my question is like, how do you how do you, you know, create kind of like a comfortable environment for these couples so that they feel yeah. like they can talk to you? Yeah, well, as with all therapy, therapeutic alliance is just like so important. Um, so building trust between couples, couples will often come in and expect you to take someone's side. And that's true with regular couples therapy. It's also, <laughs> it's also true with sex therapy. Um, you know, infidelity issues in particular, that can become an issue, but you just really have to be the neutral party and um, build up the trust to, to also let the couple know, like, I'm here to help you reach your goals. So you define what those are. And once we get those settled, then you'll see that like, it's actually beneficial for you two to be on the same team. Mm -hmm. And that's true for sex issues. Um, so often, like, especially if someone's dealing with a lot of sexual rejection over time, this wall builds up between them. And so it's the therapist's job to kind of break down that wall and find holes in the wall for them to sort of see each other the same way that they used to. So a lot of the principles of sex therapy are really similar to the principles of couples therapy. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that the topic area is more sensitive and can be really hard for some people to talk about. And it's funny, right? So, so Jen and I both have specializations in sex therapy that we are trained in. And still we were like, no, we need more of an expert to come on. Like, because it is a very complex, nuanced way of speaking about this, you know, that it takes a lot of, I think a lot of people, especially couples therapists, if you look at most couples therapist training, there was like one intro to human sexuality right. class. That's it, right? And think about how much our sex life can affect so many parts of us. And also the un, like realistic situation, not unrealistic, but the horrible thing to talk about, like the amount of people that have experienced sexual violence in their life, right? That really can affect things. So we have this situation where it becomes a quality of life thing. And we also have a lot of people that aren't training and it's sort of a big training, right? Cause you have to learn how to talk to people and how to not react. And then we have this whole thing of SARS and learning to um, expose yourself in that way. So you've made your whole career about this. <laughs> yeah. And so I think the other piece too, is like, we don't get sex ed growing up. No. Like so many people don't get any sex ed and well, you're you know, Canadian though. I am Canadian. You're we didn't Canadian. Either. Wait, so I do have to ask you, do you notice in a difference of how we talk and think about sex between Canada and the States? I do. Yeah. A little bit like, um, the religion influence is less in Canada, I would say. Um, and there's quite a bit of a religion and influence in the U S around like shame around sexuality. Mm -hmm. So that part is different. However, I will say like, definitely we still don't have comprehensive sex ed that's regulated across provinces in Canada. Um, in the U S it's even more broken apart because like from one County to another, yeah. it's different from one school to another. Like I just moved to Minnesota from Kentucky and in Kentucky, like one school on one corner could be like less than a mile from another school. And they're getting vastly different information about sex. So like two kids could live next door to each other and be getting totally different information. Oh my god! And there's no like state level or even county level ways no. to regulate this, which is really problematic. Whereas you look at somewhere like the Netherlands, 
where I've taken students for many years in a row to learn about their sex ed um, practices. And they do comprehensive sex ed from preschool onward, every year mandated by the federal level. So it's a smaller country, but we can at least do that on like different state levels, right? Yes. And so it's just, we, so not only are people who are training in sex therapy having to get like the therapeutic components of, you know, learning how to do sensate focus, learning what the plicit model is, like all of these pieces, that are really necessary for just therapeutic practice. Then you also have to get the content of like sexual response cycles, like responsive desire and spontaneous desire and how it's circular and there's lots of motivations for sex. And there's all of these different pieces at play that you never learn that we should be learning in high school. Do you, because I know you said in the Netherlands, there's so obviously so much more education around it. (laughs) So much more than nothing. Right. And do you see like how that changes like socially, you know, whether it's in couples or in, you know, like mm. how, what, what the difference is over time, like how the that quality of sex role. life. Yeah. yeah. So one of the main differences is just comfort in talking about sex. And so the Dutch are very pragmatic and that pragmatism comes out in the context of like you know, you see it in their drug laws too. So you see it in the fact that they just, this is going to happen. So let's just talk about it. Teens are going to sexually explore. So let's just talk about it. Um, And so they also use accurate terminology um, for genitals and that kind of thing, which is really important for things like preventing sexual assault, having people feel like they have sexual autonomy. Um, Not teaching girls. It's a hoo-ha. (laughs) <laughs> no, <laughs> I have literally oh, at I have literally at my daughter's gymnastics class heard moms say who say do you have to go wee wee do you uh, like it's yeah I <laughs> I was just talking to Nikki actually this is an aside I'm sorry about like words that I that like make cringe. cringe and like wee wee is over <laughs> one of them yeah it's horrible but I think it happened more than not especially we're teaching young kids and also if the parents are uncomfortable with that terminology because they were never taught that they can't you know they're they're uncomfortable talking to their kids about it yeah completely yeah people are just we aren't used to using the correct terminology we presented to a school board in kentucky to try and push back against these laws and or push back against these policies they weren't laws but um and in talking to the head of the school board she like told us we needed to stop talking about these things and we were just using you know medically accurate terminology he could not handle the word vagina could not handle the word vulva (laughs) yeah (laughs) right yeah and Um, I think most people don't know the difference between a vagina and a vagina right 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 yeah right like so like this is we're sitting here talking about what is one medical what is one science which is the actual terminology and you can see people's bodies physically win when you say this word right to say like this part of myself and like why can't I sit here and say this word and I think that that unfortunately specifically in the U.S. is huge. Yeah so I I'm the director of education at University of Minnesota Medical School and I our medical students get a lot more sex ed than most medical students which is amazing and so great because so many people first turn to their MD when they have a sexual problem and most MDs get maybe like two hours training. Yeah. Well, we give them 20, which is amazing. And so, but tomorrow is our first class this semester. And like, I have a whole set of us practicing, saying accurate terminology, a whole set of slides because most people have never said the word penis just in like a medical setting or have said the word vulva maybe ever. (laughs) because they might not know what it is and so it's yeah it's really really important a lot of a lot of like university level education around sex ed is either remedial for high school education that went bad or just like brand new information (laughs) wow well I can't believe how many times I've had clients come in that um they're coming in for a lot of times I'd say they do a lot of postpartum work for um sexual pain after birth right and their OB will say to them we'll just have a glass of wine before Oh, well, if you just if you just have a few glasses of wine, it's not going to hurt. Oh, well, oh wait a second. <laughs> Waha, right? Oh, <laughs> right? But, but you're right. Like, it's just truly a lack of information, you know, to have all these years and it's just not properly given. So how amazing that you get this opportunity, Kristen, oh, to yeah. like do that. How cool. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's so great. 
I have to tell everyone a story. <laughs> I know what you're going to tell. Don't. <laughs> so I bought the faux Sherpa duet scrunchie. The I don't give a sheep. The I don't give a sheep. I love that it. name. Um, and it's so cute. And Emily asked me to bring it back for her. And so we would like switch off every week. And I said, it's like sisterhood of the traveling scrunchie. Okay, wait. It's because I've been like really into monochrome outfits, but with texture differences. And like I wore, I mean, I wore a uniform in high school. Like I need to wear the same thing over and over. Honestly, it looks really cute on you. Well, it's perfect. It's soft. It feels amazing. And it just like, it just holds your hair up so well. It really does. So (laughs) say goodbye to bad hair days with Dew. Spice up your day daily wardrobe with a fun scrunchier hair accessory. Use one-time code SHRINKCHICKS for 15% off your first purchase with them at doedit.com. And please do yourself a favor and subscribe to their newsletter. All newsletter subscribers get early access and front-of-the-line priority with exclusive access to shop all of their drops first. Do it. Anyone else feeling like the mental load of making dinner, the planning, the shopping, the prep, figuring out the timing? (laughs) It's a little heavy to carry, huh? Same. That's why I am so grateful for Hungry Root. The food quality, simple recipes, true tastiness, and delivery right to my door is truly a game changer. When getting started, you take a fun, short quiz and Hungry Root will get to know you, what you like to eat, and more. Then they'll build you a personalized cart with all your grocery needs for the week and give you delicious recipe recommendations to put those groceries to use. So you can sit back, relax, and offload the many steps of meal planning. Each order is fully customizable so you can take their suggestions or choose anything you want. They've got fresh produce, high quality meat and seafood, healthy snacks, smoothies, sweets, ready meals, kids snacks and meals, vitamins, supplements, much more. My favorite item from my latest box was the honey citrus chopped salad, lemon pepper chicken and the four cheese tortellini. You gotta try it for yourself. Everything from Hungry Root follows a simple standard. It's gotta taste good, be quick to make, and contain whole trusted ingredients. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Shrink Chicks listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash Shrink Chicks to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash Shrink Chicks. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. A really fun fact about me that you might not know is that if I let my hair dry natural, it is a frizzball mess, which is one of the many reasons I absolutely love pros. I truly never thought that I would be able to embrace my natural hair texture. Ever since I switched to a custom hair routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Less frizzy hair, yes, but beyond that too. My hair is shinier, healthier, and so much more manageable. Filming the podcast every week makes checking out my hair unavoidable, and I felt so much more confident on camera thanks to pros. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do. The custom shampoo and conditioner combo, plus the hydrating leave-in conditioner and hair oil keeps the frizz at bay. It also makes for the smoothest blowout. People keep asking me if I got my hair cut or went to the salon, which is of course the highest compliment. Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're certified B Corp cruelty free and the first and only carbon neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. I use this feature when I moved to my temporary house in New Jersey, back to my house house post construction project in Pennsylvania. Environmental factors like water source is something that pros takes into consideration with their customization. So it was very cool that I had the ability to update my location. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin, and they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. So you get a free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash shrinkchicks. Wow. Okay. So I know we've been to talk about, but let's talk a little bit about some of like our biggest questions that come in. And since you opened up Pandora's box earlier, <laughs> yes. right. Of your other number one question, let's go back to that. How do you keep the spark, the flame, right? All the stuff. That's what everyone always wants to know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you keep the spark alive? So the, it's really individual desire is so complex, right? It's influenced by like individual things like stress and being tired and like 
um, how attractive you feel that day. Like so many different individual level factors go into an individual's desire. And then there's all these like dyadic factors. So things like, um, are you pissed off at your partner today? Are you like, how are you getting along in general? How compatible do you feel with your partner? Um, how are you communicating and are you communicating um, about sex and just generally? And then there's also these like societal factors that play that are at play. So like our gendered expectations around desire and wanting sex and being gatekeepers of sex versus being pursuers and all of these pieces also play in. So when you think about all of those factors that play into sexual desire, first of all, inevitably, the two of you are maybe not going to be totally in sync all the time. So there's going to be inevitable instances of sexual desire discrepancy where one of you has higher or lower desire. But to keep that, so that's going to be inevitable. So expectation setting is the first thing, like set your expectations where you know that in the context of a long-term relationship, there just will be times when you're not going to be in sync and that's okay. Just don't let it become this elephant in the room that you don't talk about. Instead, like talk about what it is that might be influencing your desire at that time. Like, hey, work is like really stressful right now. And I feel like as soon as I come home, I have all this work to do at home and it's just too much. And I don't want to have sex with you because I'm kind of mad actually that you're not having to do all of this. And like, that's okay. And to have a partner that you can say that to and for them to be like, oh yeah, that does suck. Like just have some empathy for your partner and understand that this is temporary and you can work toward getting things back on track. Another thing I think that's really important is like maintaining a level of autonomy within the relationship. So, mm -hmm. so many couples, um, I don't, I think you all are probably similar age to me and we like, you know, Spice Girls, that song to become one, <laughs> remember that song? Yeah. So, you know, that song was, is like a killer of desire. Like, no, two don't become one. That's not math. Like math will stay the same. One plus one is always two. <laughs> So let's keep it that way. Like that is absolutely important. <laughs> and so keeping some level of autonomy and we've seen, like I've collected a bunch of data over COVID and we've seen that sexual desire and sexual frequency have both decreased over the course of the pandemic. And one of those reasons is because the ability to maintain any level of autonomy within the context of working from home, living from home, having to stay in your home is very difficult. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like yeah. understandable that people don't want to have sex or that are, they aren't making time for it or able to make time for it. Right. <laughs> it makes me think about, you know, because I think, you know, and I know we're going to get into this a little bit, but there's an idea that when couples move in together, oh, like we're going to have so much time. We're going to have so much more. Sex. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen. It does not happen. Actually, the opposite happens. Right. And so yep. it makes, and I think that that's another thing with COVID is that there's this expectation of like, we have so much more time. We're going to be having so much sex. No, no, definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. That monotony of the day-to-day -day life can really be a damper to desire. Well, and you brought up something I think is really important. I'm wondering if we could go to a little bit is male versus female, right? Because we have this myth, right? We have this myth. Men always want sex. Women never do, right? That they always have to be, um, you know, coercing them into sex or something. Man, the men, are the pursuers. Yes, right? Women are always distancing sexually. And really, that's a gendered idea. And it's really not totally accurate. Yeah, I'm pretty influenced by those societal expectations, right? Yeah. If you grow, if, you, if kids grow up thinking like, as women, we need to be gatekeepers of sex, then it's really hard to, to like embrace having higher sexual desire. Yeah. Um, and for men, that also does a disservice to men and to non-binary folks. Like the whole situation around like just men feeling this guilt or this pressure to always be ready and willing to engage in sex. Like men experience stress too. And they also experience fatigue. And like, there are lots of reasons why someone might not always be ready for sex. So um, yeah, that's definitely, our data don't show that, especially when they don't show that gender difference, especially when we look at it on a day-to-day -day level. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we, we, we do see that when you look at desire more broadly, like um, as, if it's a, it's, as if it's a trait, like introversion or extroversion, when you look at desire in that way, then yes, we do tend to see that men have higher desire than women. But I would argue that that is only our societal influence, that that is actually not genuinely true, but just what women and men are 
feeling like they are expected to say in the context. Really like what they're reporting. Yeah, yeah. right. Totally. Well, and it's, it's not the biological predisposition, right? Like exactly. we weren't, no. yeah, it's because of this. It's socially constructed. Exactly, yeah. the social construction. So would you say, are there any differences between men and women? Um, from Mars and Venus. That's what we need to know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ignore that book. <laughs> Never read it. No. Um, so that I, I have my whole career have found across the board, there are far more gender similarities than there are differences simply because when you look at individual women and you look at individual men, there are more differences between different women than there are between women as a whole and men as a whole. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of human variation, period. Like, you know, normal is a wide spectrum when it comes to sexuality. And um, we really do see that, yeah, when you're looking for gender differences, you're gonna find them. But when you're looking for gender similarities, you're also gonna find them. And Confirmation you, bias. Yeah. Right, yes, exactly. <laughs> and so you're going to be able to, once you like parse the data in certain, you know, we could look at identi- sexual identity differences, which we do. Sometimes we see more identity differences than we do gender differences, especially once we start looking at like the bisexual population. Yeah. Like there's a lot of gender similarity there. And so we just, I am someone who fully um, supports the gender similarity hypothesis around like there's just far more similarity than difference. And any of those large widespread differences tend to be around, tend to be socially constructed. Well, it's funny because you can also start to see it so much when you look at same sex couples, right? If we're talking about two people of the same sex and this should also go into it, but no, you see pleasure I think, you know, we know research supports that pleasure is very different in same-sex couples than it is with heterosexual couples. Right. Yeah. We did a really interesting study where we looked at, um, we compared like different, uh, make, so it was, we were looking at women's sexual desire and we looked at bisexual, lesbian, and straight women. And what we found is across the board, like this idea of lesbian bed death, um, where like same-sex female couples just Mm -hmm. like no longer have sex. Um, that was actually just a couple issue, not a lesbian issue. Like (laughs) that was not unique to lesbians, like sexual desire and sexual frequency tend to decrease over the course of time in a relationship period across the board. Mm -hmm. It's just that within the context of the lesbian community, there is this like name that's been placed to it. And so they have this sort of like, they've got it named and they call it out. And actually that might be helpful for them (laughs) battling all this stuff. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I think like another another thing you mentioned is just like the rejection piece that plays into um, a couple's sexual relationship, right? Like if someone Mm -hmm. has a higher sexual desire than the other person um, and they're not communicating about it, how do you how do you kind of work help a couple work through that? Because they get very much stuck in this pattern of one person is pursuing the other one maybe shutting down or saying, oh, I have a headache or like that the communication around it is really broken down. How do you help them work through those pieces? Yeah, a lot of that comes to um, building up an understanding and empathy between each other around like, so for instance, um, if a couple is having trouble communicating about that rejection piece in particular, we know that that rejection piece is associated with an underlying fear. And what is that fear? So getting at that emotion behind that and having both members of the couple identify each other's emotions around like, what does that rejection bring up for you? Because a lot of the time, like it's actually something you can become quite empathetic toward your partner for. If you know that when someone, when your partner's rejecting your advances, it actually makes you feel like they don't want to be with you and they might abandon you, for instance. So getting to that, the bottom of that and getting to the underlying emotions of it is really important. And those conversations can be really hard to have, right? So like, for example, um, I'm the scientific consultant for this, um, this app called Coral. And it's amazing. I've used it with clients. We're obsessed. Oh my God. We're going to put it on Instagram so everyone knows. Tell us more. Yeah. And so what's so great about Coral is that it allows for the couple to facilitate, like it facilitates the discussion, the beginning of that discussion, because as we talked about earlier, people don't know how to talk about sex. We aren't given the tools to know how to bring sex up and know how to bring it up in a way that isn't going to result in our partner getting their back up or feeling like you're criticizing them. 
And so one of the great tools that Coral has is like the ability to talk to your partner. They have this like partner feature and the research shows that like sexual communication is so important. If anyone were to ever like, I get asked all the time, like, what's the one thing that you need to always do? And I'm like, communication and journalists will be like, oh, that's so stale. Like that's such an old suggestion. And I'm like, yeah, it's stale because no one is doing it still. Like <laughs> when people start communicating, I will stop giving that as my answer. Absolutely. It is so true. And you know, what, you know, it's so funny. I, I watch Shark Tank often. <laughs> just as, once again, yes. aside, I promise I'm going somewhere. <laughs> um, and there was this, someone created something where it was like, if one couple wanted, if one of the, one of the partners wanted sex, they pressed a button. And if the other partner wanted sex, they pressed a button and then they would both get like a, they would both get something on their phone or something, a signal that they'd be like, okay, now we're both into sex. Let's go for it. If one partner pressed the button, the other one didn't, the other one wouldn't get notified that the other partner wanted to have sex. So that's like, good. It's, it was very interesting, but, but then know, how do you know if your partner, I don't know, one, it seems expensive for something you could do with your mouth, but <laughs> that was my point is that like, it's almost saying, don't communicate about this. Just press this button. Yeah. Totally. So they right. kind of avoid rejection. Well, it's interesting, right? Cause like what I've worked with some couples where they were like really, really at the beginning stages of trying to communicate about sex, right? There are some people that grew up with so much purity culture, so much sexual shame that they don't have the language. But that seems maybe like putting a Band-Aid over a bullet hole. That's how I feel. Did it, did it get bought? I don't think so. Now <laughs> we have to find out. That's good. But, I, mean, I mean, Kristen, what do you think? Would you recommend? No, that? I think that that is totally a crutch that then you begin to rely on. Yeah, and I don't think that that's healthy. Mm -mm. Because it's it's... It's saying, oh, you don't have to communicate about this at all. Another, right. Another reason I think that that's not very healthy is because, um, you know, so often actually it can be healthy for your relationship to meet your partner's sexual needs. And so when you are meeting your partner's sexual needs for like what we call approach goals, then where you are wanting to feel closer to your partner, you want to feel like um, you're meeting their sexual needs because you love them and like you want to make them happy those sort of approach goals when you engage in sex even if you don't feel like it and the goals are approach goals that actually is really beneficial for your relationship did you know that billions of plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles end up in landfills every year i used to contribute to that waste constantly buying single-use plastic cleaning products without giving it much thought but then i discovered blue land and it has been a game changer blue land has helped me eliminate the need for single-use plastic and the products i reach for the most they are reinventing cleaning essentials their approach is simple yet revolutionary refillable cleaning products with a sleek design that not only looks great on your counter but also reduces plastic waste significantly what i love most is the convenience with Blueland, I never worry about running out of cleaning supplies or lugging bulky bottles from the store. From hand soap to toilet bowl cleaner to laundry tablets that each smell incredible, all Blueland products are made with clean ingredients you can feel good about. I was blown away when I received my first Blueland order. I immediately filled the bottles with water and their tablets, which was so easy to try everything out. And the ingredients are clean, the scents are refreshing, and the packaging is just so cute. Blueland is trusted in over 1 million homes, including mine. If you're you're ready to make a positive change for the planet without sacrificing cleanliness or convenience, Blueland has you covered. Blueland has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash shrinkchicks. You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash shrinkchicks for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash shrinkchicks to get 15% off. I am thrilled that the weather is finally warming up here in Philly. I went to switch out my closet the other day from my fall winter wear to my spring summer wear and noticed that I very much needed a refresh. So thank goodness for Quince that allows me to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I refresh my closet with the high-waisted linen shorts that come in multiple colors and patterns, the comfiest cotton tees, and my latest favorite, the smocked mini dress. And don't miss out on their accessories. Quince has the coolest sunglasses and 14 karat gold jewelry to complete any look. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, making me feel even better about my purchases. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash shrinkchicks for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash shrinkchicks to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash shrinkchicks. However, if you're engaging in sex when you don't feel like it for what we call avoidance goals, which are things like, um, I want to avoid a fight or like, uh, like again, like I, I guess I should say yes, because it's my duty. Mm -hmm. Um, in those ways, if those are your goals, those avoidance goals, then that's actually not healthy for your relationship and it's not good for your relationship going forward. So these, these couples who have what's called like higher sexual communal strength, which is something that my friend and colleague, Amy Muse has done a lot of work in of this sexual communal strength. If you're higher in that, where you, and people who are high in sexual communal strength are motivated to meet their partner's sexual needs, then those people tend to just maintain desire longer over time and also be more satisfied in their relationships. I love what you just said about the approach goals, because I think that it's, it's very much kind of ingrained too, in the way we talk about sex. Like if, one partner has a lower desire and they're like, okay, I'm just going to like check this off my list so that, yeah. that, you know, my partner isn't bothering me about it, or I can push it off a little more. I'm like avoiding a fight in some way. I think that's the way that we talk about it a lot yeah. of the time, but it is to say like, it is okay to say like, I want to feel close to my partner. I want them to be happy. This is something I want to give to them. Even if I don't have the desire in these moments that it's a, a, a way to frame it. And don't you know that's why people want to know that average? Like, so like, so they can say to themselves, like, all right, well, I had sex once a week and I checked it off my list. So now that I'm average or something, right? Like right. It, it is this check. They can like prove that they're- I did it. I did and it. another, another reason why that's a really good approach is approach goals using being a good approach <laughs> is, yeah, I didn't mean to do that. Um, is because, uh, you know, desire isn't always this feeling that comes before arousal, right? Like desire doesn't always, and actually often doesn't come before arousal. And so sometimes you won't feel like having sex until you're kind of like halfway into it. And then you'll be Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, this does feel good. Like I should do this more often. And across the board, that is what couples tend to say who, who do engage in sex when they don't feel like it with the caveat of being in a healthy relationship and no like coercion or anything happening but like you know in that context most people I would say like the I would I would bet that 99.5 percent of them do not regret engaging in that sexual act later right yeah Yeah. sex does elicit feel-good emotions it does bring you closer to your partner it does have very like healthy benefits well, if you lean into it, right? I feel like as opposed to people that go in with this full resistance and they're sitting there like, is, you know, I'm when's it going to be over? Thing, but like, is he done? Is she done? Right. Is this over yet? Right? Like, right. as opposed to like, how could I also experience some pleasure? How could I also experience some connection? What is this about for our relationship? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I think that piece of the fact that like, there's, there's almost this societal idea that we do, we're supposed to have this spontaneous desire, right? That, and if we don't, right, we see it in the movies, right? Like all of a sudden, you know, two people are so into it. They have sex, they both orgasm at the same time. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> and then it's done. And it's like this passionate, amazing experience. And I think it really puts this idea in our head um, of, oh, okay, in order to, to be into this, I have to have this spontaneous desire. And so I love what you said about, you know, sometimes we get into it once we start going. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yep. Wow. Yep. Arousal can come before desire and does often, especially in these long-term relationships, you're not going to be doing laundry and suddenly start banging on the, like on the washing machine, <laughs> the way you see in movies, right? Like that just doesn't happen. Movies, <laughs> once again, I say this in a lot of podcasts, but I think we need to make more realistic movies. Oh. <laughs> the thing is they might be kind of boring. <laughs> Boring, right? Like people they would, be would. fights and then communicate. You know what? Or maybe going to work for eight hours. Right. <laughs> you know what though? I've been watching the new season of Shrill came out. And that is a great example of a show that actually portrays sex like pretty accurately. Yes. Oh my gosh, wait, I love Shrill. Yeah, new season wait. now. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna start watching. I'm wait, watching. I'm I'm actually that's so funny you said that because I went back to rewatch season two because I had sort of fallen off a little bit, but I just really love Aidy Bryant. 
she's yeah. amazing. Great. Right. Um, okay, so we have to, one, we're in love with you. Two, um, we have to go back to, we're going to do a segment, right? A new segment with our guests of calling bullshit in your field. Let's dispel a myth in your field. Or multiple myths. Or myths. I know that you have a million. So, uh, Dr. Kristen, what are we calling bullshit on today? (laughs) We already did my one that I had in my head about men's and women's desire, but it's okay. We've got so many. We've got so many. Um, So I would like to, I think we should you know, call bullshit on, um, masturbation in the context of relationships. So people will make a ton of assumptions around, like when you're in a relationship, you should no longer be masturbating. Like you should be getting all of your sexual needs met in the context of your relationship. And that is complete bullshit. Um, you, first of all, it's really great way to meet your partner in the middle. If you're experiencing desire discrepancy, um to masturbate instead it's amazing for postpartum to Mm -hmm. masturbate instead to mutually masturbate like doesn't have to be this penetration situation always happening um and i think that that's a really important thing um now i will say like if we're looking like more field wise i can expand upon the desire thing where i think there are some people in my field who definitely do believe that there are inherent sex differences when it comes to sexual desire. And those are the folks who like only really look at the hormonal response, like and see testosterone as the drive hormone and like estrogen as the like not drive. (laughs) (laughs) And so, (laughs) and I would just argue there's just too much societal influence there to ignore. You just can't not with something like desire. Um, You know, you see these like desire drugs being released for women, for example, it just doesn't make any sense actually. And um, there've been campaigns to say, we have like all of these drugs for men's desire, but no, none of those drugs target men's desire. They target men's arousal. They target the erection response. Mm -hmm. So you want to make a, you you want to make a drug for women's arousal, then fine, go ahead and do that and make a drug that might improve lubrication or maybe like engorges the clitoris, but all of those things have been tried and none of them help women's sexual functioning or their experience of pleasure and satisfaction. So I think this idea that desire is this like sex separate thing and it just isn't. You might be talking about arousal, but don't conflate the two because they are definitely different. Mm. So I'm thinking something that I feel like we hear a lot, which maybe be a perfect thing to end to give people as a takeaway here today, which is a lot of our listeners are women, right? So I'll talk about it from a female point of view. (laughs) We have maybe three male listeners. One of them is sitting over here, our editor. Um, (laughs) That is my husband. Um, Okay. So, but I feel like the number thing I hear a lot of women say is I, I felt like I was a sexual person in my teen years. I felt like I experienced a lot of sexual shame when I started my sexual experience. I want to become more of a sexual person now in my long-term relationship, in my marriage, what are some tips of really starting to explore my sexuality and really sort of magnify my sexuality as a woman? Yeah, I think women really struggle with this too because in our adolescence, like adolescent female sexuality is, stop, no, we aren't going to talk about it. Like it doesn't exist. That's it. And internally it's off the damn charts. Right. (laughs) And so that is doing such a disservice. It's doing such a disservice. It's so terrible. So I think starting at like, have you looked at your genitals? You know, like, have you even looked at them? Like, look at them. There's an amazing, um, resource called the vulva library, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's like pictures of all of these vulvas, like look at your genitals, look at those, like, and see like, whoa, there's such variation that happens within vulvas. Um, And so getting to know your body is the first thing. If you haven't masturbated to orgasm, try and do that. And the way that you might get over like some of the fear, like a lot of people say to me, you know, like, I just feel weird touching myself. That doesn't, it feels weird. So try and do everything you can. What are the things that relax you? Do all of those things. Is that 
um, going into the bathtub and like having candles and like, I don't know, that's a very feminine thing, I guess, yeah. but <laughs> um, that's what relaxes me. So, <laughs> um, you know, have a glass of wine, like do something that makes you feel good and then embark upon it. So setting the stage for that. And then additionally, learn how to talk about what you might want. Like, especially if you're in a really comfortable, like happy long-term relationship or relatively, you know, we're not, they're not all perfect, <laughs> but, um, you know, say to your partner, I really want to try and get to know my sexuality a little bit better. Are you game for this? Like, can you, can you go along this with me? Like, it might mean us stopping while we're having sex and me being like, Hey, can you like shift here? Or can you try this? Or like, mm -hmm in what ways can we try and make this feel better for me? And that part I think can be hard to articulate because so much of our, of our like everything is around pleasing our partners, yeah. not only sexually, but like in life, we are always women in general, like are always. And again, I think that men would, if they were socialized this way, um, like socialized to like, just please everyone. We're such, you know, we want to make everyone else happy. In fact, our sexual satisfaction research, this is really interesting. Our sexual satisfaction research shows that when women answer questions about sexual satisfaction and they're in relationships with men, they actually use their partner's satisfaction as a marker for their own. Whereas men answer those questions based on their own satisfaction. Yeah. And th I think that's fascinating. It's the same thing for female, for um, same sex women, female couples, they answer the question based on their female partner. And so that in and of itself, like the fact that we're using our partner's satisfaction as a marker of our own. So getting to know and finding ways to like prioritize your pleasure, um, finding like ways to talk about it more during sex and outside of sex. I think those things will go a really long way for getting to know your own body sexually. And then, you know, women also tend to be more likely to have like these external factors that influence them during sex. And the thing that I think is the most promising treatment for this is mindfulness exercises. Mm -hmm. um, Lori Brado's work in like mindfulness and sexual desire has been brilliant. And she's been doing a lot of great studies um, that actually have been shown to work in men too. Um, she's starting to look at, look at that in men. And that is really incredible, um, an incredibly powerful tool that is free that you can do at any given time. And actually that app I mentioned, Coral, they have tons of great mindfulness exercises in there too. Um, that are specific to one's sex life. So trying to find ways to um, practice that can help you get more in touch with your own sexual pleasure. Well, I love the idea of an app, right? You know, there's something when we're first like exploring this and thinking about it, we want it to feel safe. We want it to feel secure, right? Like it's easier to do when you're like on an app on technology. Yes. Yeah. Right. I prefer, I, cause I have recommended, I remember one time, um, Ian Kerner, she comes first. I had recommended to a client and he was like, I can't buy this book. I can't have right, this book. Like, like he, out. You he, he, it on <laughs> he had a fear of having the book in the house right. with his partner there. Right. And so to like secretly read it, secretly read. Well, if you are, if there's such communicating about it, yeah. exactly. Right. As opposed to God, look at this beautiful book I'm reading for you, for us to experience more pleasure. I don't know. I think I would really like to come home and be like, see, cool. Good job. To see that book on my table. I'm going to order it for your husband, my husband. And I think the other thing that's really important is framing this to your partner, like, hey, I feel like this will really enrich our relationship, mm -hmm. you know, like sometimes people can think like, what, you're just like really horny now suddenly or something, you know, and someone might get really defensive about that. Yeah. And to say like, no, it's not that I just like really want to improve our, like we're, we've been together for this long now. Like, is this it? Like, let's, let's improve our relationship yeah. in general. And like, this is one facet of that. Mm -hmm. um blame it on hearing this podcast you know what I mean like <laughs> yeah. blame it on you you heard this thing I often will tell people like if they want to try a new sexual behavior with their partner I'm like tell them that you had a dream about doing that thing you know a little white lie isn't gonna be the worst thing if it's to improve your relationship in my yeah, opinion right <laughs> <laughs> like say you had a dream about it last night see what their reaction is if their reaction is like oh that sounds awful then you know they're probably yeah. not gonna be on the table but if their reaction is like oh what was it like you can kind of explore that and be like we should maybe try it sometime <laughs> that's awesome it's, it's a way to like softly approach because that approach piece and initially bringing it up is the hardest part Absolutely. oh my gosh so before we end up a final question, because I know we never touched on it, what is 
the average amount that people have. (laughs) (laughs) So this number is hard because it changes over one's lifespan, right? But I will say that some really interesting research has shown that in terms of the happiness peak, so um, try and engage in sex a minimum of one time a week, because if you engage in sex less than once a week, then your happiness does tend to decline. Mm So if you could reach the once a week, happiness doesn't necessarily increase after once a week. However, I think that, you know, depending on where you're at with that and, and also getting to know what each other like want out of sex. And if that is like connection, then maybe you need to increase the number of times per Mm. week. Um, Averages, I know everyone wants to know an average, but it is about, it is around once a week. Um, It's just hard because in different age groups, it's different. And then also define sex, right? So If you're defining sex in terms of like sexual activity, then it goes up. If you're defining sex in terms of just like very heterocentric vaginal um, penal penetration, then it goes down. Um, So increase variety and yeah, make sure it's a minimum of once a week of that sexual connection time. There we go. Thank you for answering because I know that Yes. I won't answer when my couples bring it up. I know. But that's a good way to talk about it in terms of like the happiness part of it, right? Now yeah. I'm going to steal that from I mean, you. Because it's research. Please do. Okay. Dr. That's Kristen. also great is that it's yes. research. Yeah. Right. Dr. Kristen Mark, I, I want to sit here. First of all, okay. Director of Education, the Program of Human and Sexual Health, Center for Study, <laughs> Department it. of Family Medicine, Community Health, and University of Minnesota Medical Center, and affiliate research faculty at the Kinsey Institute in Indiana. She's a couples and sex therapist. Her research has been widely published in several academic journals, such as the Journal of Sex Research and Archives of Sexual Behavior. And our new best friend, Dr. Kristen Mark, thank you for being (laughs) here today. Thanks so much for having me. It was a blast to have you. If you got something out of this episode, if you enjoyed yourself here today, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. We'll talk to you all soon. Take care. Have a good one. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelore. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts? We're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. Warning though, there will be no surface level conversations here. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image after trying to check all those be healthy boxes, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. I truly believe how you feel on the inside reflects out into every aspect of your life. So if you're ready to go below skin deep to tap into a whole other level of wellness, you're in the right place. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks.